All right, we are all here. You're all here, or all here and accounted for. Just say, yeah, I'm here, and that's what's important. So good to be with you. Yesterday, we had a, a beautiful time. I think a couple hundred people came to say goodbye to Dana, and, uh, and she was uh, such a beautiful part of our church for about 25 years, and uh, we, will, we will miss her uh, dearly. Um, how many of you know that, that every person here is precious? And uh, you might even have some family that disagree with it, but, uh, you know, God has made us all unique. And, uh, you know, every time I see someone uh, lose a mate, uh, one of the things that I say is your, your, your mate was so unique, so beautiful, so unique. And, and, uh, and I think that's more comforting than, hey, you know, uh, you, know you go find someone else. <laughs> no one wants to do that. Well, people do want to do that, but they're usually still married and they're both alive. But, uh, you know, when you, when you bring someone into comfort, you know, just acknowledging the uniqueness of their mate and how that, that was an irreplaceable loss that we feel. And that's exactly how we feel with saying goodbye to Dana. She was just such a treasure in the, in the house. And uh, we complained to the office how many understand it in the Bible that complaining is actually an accepted form of prayer? David said, I'd bring my complaint to the Lord. You know, some people don't want to complain to God, but they also don't want to pray to God. Uh, how many of you know that if you have a real relationship, there is the affirmative and the negative, that you will, you will bring your praise and you'll also bring your questions and your, your protest. <clears throat> and so we... Uh, we had a good time yesterday, and it was a great time. And my weekend constituted uh, smoking 60 pounds of pork on uh, Friday. And uh, <laughs> I smoked so much pork in my Green Mountain Grill that uh, it created an oil slick underneath it. All that pork grease just kind of dripped out, and so we had to try to wash that off yesterday. Anyway, does anybody want to come and steam clean my, my uh, uh, patio? <laughs> Uh, we'll welcome it. I got my boot off. I've got regular shoes again, big boy shoes. And, uh, and so I'm, I'm still walking funny because I'm used to wearing that boot and having my hip out of joint. And now all of a sudden I can walk normally, allegedly. <laughs> so uh, if I stumble a little bit, be, be, be chill with me. I'm still in the game. A man once said, uh, we've encountered the enemy and discovered that it was we. Uh, you know, that's about the only joke I have for the day. And, uh, so if you don't chuckle, maybe I'll come up with a few others. But uh, many times we keep waiting for this outside monster. You know, it's one of the things that, that we try to make sure when we encourage people on how to raise your kids. Make them own their own stuff. Make them be responsible for what they did do or did say and not, well, you know, the bad kids at kindergarten, they were throwing the blocks. And so uh, one of them took my arm and launched the block from my hand that hit the teacher in the head. No, Fritz, I think you did it, right? And so accountability, being able to say that a lot of my trouble has all, all been in my own head. I like what Mark Twain said. He said, he said, I'm an old man. 
I've had many troubles. Most of them never, never showed up. And, and so we call that having a head trip, something inside of our own thought processes, something inside of the way we think and we process things can be very troubling. Uh, most of my biggest battles that I've ever had were never with someone else. They have always been within myself. When I was a young man, we would use the term, Sal and Rosie, remember this term, I've got to get my head together. Remember that? It was so funny, you know. Uh, <laughs> a friend of mine said that he was living up in Washington, and he was telling his dad, you know, he said, Dad, I've got I've to uh, find out who I am. And his dad just cuffed him in the head and said, You're Bob. You know who you are. <laughs> Straighten up your behavior, okay? But I remember back in the 70s and 60s, you know, wow, man, I'm trying to get my head together or simply like I, I'm trying to get my act together. Now, I want to be honest with you. Uh, this is our 39th year of pastoring here at Joy. And, uh, and I'm still, my prayers are often, Lord, Lord, help me to get it together. Lord, help me to play nice in the sandbox. I don't want to kick sand on the other uh, people <laughs> at play here. I, I, I want to love Jesus. I want to uh, put away evil from my life. I don't want to be critical. I don't want to be a drag to be around. How many of you know that you don't want to be the guy that's seldom invited to a party because you're like, wah, wah, you're the downer. This is really a rough crowd, but if I can get through this... I'll get the happy people the next one, you know. They've got more coffee to, to ingest, as Johnny said. Proverbs 16.32 says, He who is slow to anger is better than the mighty. And he who rules his spirit than he who takes a city. Wow. So the Bible's all about God's opinions, God's values, and God says, if you can get it together and rule yourself. So you got to say it right. It's not yourself. It's yourself. I've got to rule myself. And so many people are wanting to get everybody else in their world adjusted. Well, people need to understand me and people need to not bug me. And, and you made me hit you. That's what people that are involved in domestic violence will often say. She made me beat her up. No, she didn't. God wants us as believers through the power of Jesus and the power of determination. Did you know you can have the power of Jesus available, but if you don't get determined, you don't get fed up with the stupidity that you move in. And I'm talking about myself. If I, when I get tired of the stupidity that I've been involved in to the degree it makes me want to puke, I can change. I call it the vomit theory of change. When something makes you want to throw up, trust me, no matter what it is, it can be dope, it can be alcoholism, it can be immorality. When you want to throw up at the very thought of doing what you used to do, you can change. But while you treasure it, you're still in the game. You won't change until you're going, no, I'm done. I don't want to be, I don't want to be the city drunk. I don't want to be, I don't want to be a womanizer. I don't want to be the dude, the, the girl that gets a new husband every five years. 
puts on that, that cute red dress and goes out and does her hustle and gets a new one. I don't want to be that girl anymore. See, the Bible doesn't care where you're from. God doesn't care where you're from. He's all about where you're going, where you're fixing to go. What are you going to do with the freedom he gives you? And so God's values are this, that if you can, you know, get your head together, you can get your act together, that you can rule your own spirit, you are better than a person that can take a walled city. Wow. And I found out that's my biggest, strongest battle is, you know, oh, don't get me on the devil. Did you know the devil sucks as bad as he's always sucked? He isn't sucking worse this year. You know, well, the devil's really getting stronger. The devil's not getting stronger. He's not been given all power. And so watch this. The devil's a constant. He sucks. And God is always good. So what makes the difference of what happens in my life? If I'm focused on how bad the devil is and I want to keep hearing what he's got to say, I'm going to stay in his bondage trip. But when I began to say, through Jesus Christ, I have freedom and victory, I can roll on and move ahead with what God uh, has for me. Therefore, watch this, the devil's not my worst enemy. I am. The devil can't steal my destiny, but I can. The devil can't get me to leave the game board, but I can walk off the game. I can walk out of here. I can quit doing the will of the Lord. But the devil can't make me quit doing the will of the Lord. I think we need to quit praising the devil. This is just introduction. Wait till I get into the sermon. It'll be a letdown. It'll be so much lesser. And so we see that in this message, going through the book of James, we're going to talk about where does quarrels and contentions come from us. And so Pastor James, the Lord's brother, and he was the head pastor over the Church of Jerusalem, he tells us why we fight and scrap within ourselves and with other people. Those are the two primary people I fight with, as myself and you. It, Am I real here? You know, I don't know. Maybe you sit there and scream at the dog in the backyard. That's a different kind of a, of, a, of a thing. But most of the time when I'm scrapping, I'm scrapping within my head or I'm scrapping with other people. And, and so, you know, that's one thing that I love be, being married to Kim because we've been married for a long, long time. And so when, we can tell when, when one of us needs a fight. Have you ever had that? You get around your mate like, how are you? Fine. If a woman says she's fine, she's not fine. She's terrible. <laughs> and you feel like, you know, you just, you're just jonesing for a fight. And you're not, you're not, you don't do that. Kim and I don't, we don't like to fight. So what we've both learned to do is let's, let's find out why, what, what's going on. Because we didn't marry to fight, so this thing about all of a sudden one of us needs to fight, why? A lot of times, maybe there's been a hurt. Maybe a family member wounded, and you don't want to talk about it, and so you, you have that pent-up emotion, and it, and it shows up as kind of picking a fight. Maybe it's a fear of medical condition or something. 
But when we know that since we don't like to just fight, and we don't like to quarrel for the sake of quarreling, then we can get to the heart of where the hurt is and minister to one another and move on. So we're going to look at, at, at uh, Pastor James as he takes us into an introspection on quarreling and contentions. And I want to just tell you this. He gets very common, very earthy, and the old term, because see, I'm still kicking it old school, and the old term was he is vulgar in his description. Now, that doesn't mean profane or pornography, but he's vulgar. He's very common in what he is going to consider Christians compromising with sin. And so, so all of us will get uncomfortable a little bit in this message because it, it'll hit too close to home. He says this from the NLT, James chapter 4, verses 1 through 3 to start with. What is causing the quarrels and fights among you? Don't they come from the evil desires at war within you? Don't you just hate James? He launches all the time with, no, it's not the bad kids on the playground. It's you, Fritz. That's my, my inner child. His name is Fritz. He's German. Maybe yours is, you know, Juan or, or Felipe or something. But it's so easy. I find so many people, and it's almost part of our culture, no one wants to own their own stuff. And so James is saying, hey, you guys want to know why you fight? why you have conflicts within yourself and with others, it's because of the evil desires at war within you. Couldn't you say mistakes, James? Why do you have to use the most in-your-face term? Because he's James. You want what you don't have, so you scheme and kill to get it. Now, that's somebody wanting something bad, man. Have the 57 Chevy, you know. You fight and wage war to take it from them. You, you don't have what you want because you don't ask God for it. Many things, God would just happily give it to you. When Nathan the prophet was confronting David over his sin with Bathsheba, he said, I gave you the whole kingdom. I've given you, you know, money and this and that and protected you. If that had not been enough, I'd have given you more. I found out that God has been so gracious in my life that everything that I've asked for, sometimes it takes time, but he gives it. In fact, I'm a little bit reluctant to ask for a lot of things because I know there'll be more responsibility. How many found out that God is generous? He's not stingy. You're his kids. He loves to, he loves to take care of you. And yet... Yet many people enjoy the world game. Whoa, what's a scandal? What's uh, Justin Bieber done recently? What's, uh, you know, is Britney Spears finally out of rehab? You know, and I'm using old stuff because I, I plug, unplug from the news. I don't know who the, the new scandal people are in youth culture, but I can tell you this, that's, that's the way of the world. That's loving the world. I want to know. 
who in Hollywood's having an affair with someone. I don't want to know. I want, I want immorality and divorces and all that to end. Kingdom that I'm from, that's not where we're into. And yet what James is starting to say is, oh, but some of you are. Some of you are doing the God thing, but you're still doing the world thing too. And so he goes, he said, you, you have things that you're not getting that you're trying to kill people for, trying to slander for, trying to get maybe your boss to be uh, knocked off by the slander and the gossip you're giving to their boss to try to take their job. That should never happen among Christians. And even when you ask, you don't get it because your motives are all wrong. You only want what will give you pleasure. And so um, the New Living Translation was a very simple translation, and I wanted to use it for the purpose of, of, uh, of its uh, user-friendliness. But when it talks about pleasure here, it's the, the, the Greek word here is where we get the word hedonism. It's specifically sensual pleasure, you know? If I can't taste it, can't be attracted by its beauty, can't mate it, then I don't want it. Essentially the life of a dog. And, 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 and what is happening is James is basically saying, hey, you, you, you're, you're moving like an animal in your desires and in what you want. Then he draws that vulgar or coarse comparison where he says spiritual compromise constitutes spiritual adultery. I want to tell you something. Kim and I have lived long enough that we've dealt with sickness. Uh, she's had near-death experiences. I've had near-death experiences. Probably the closest death I ever get is when I say something stupid and she's mad. Being Sicilian, that could, there could be a hitman uh, sent from the bay within eight hours. But one thing that I, that I never want to experience is to find out that my sweetie slept with and committed adultery with another. I never want to look in her beautiful brown eyes and say, I blew it. I never want to have to look at my kids. And yet James is saying this here. He's saying, hey, your Christianity is not like this groovy little thing. Oh, yeah, I'm into the Christian thing right now. No. Becoming a believer in Jesus is like taking holy vows. You don't blow it on someone that really loves you. And James' words hurt me. And they bother me because so many people don't take their vow to God seriously. He writes this, you adulterers, don't you realize that friendship, they must have had a lot of church growth in Jerusalem and he's trying to, trying to do like a, a teaching contraceptive to stop church growth. Could you imagine me, I go, hi, adulterers. And I've said some crazy things, but that's a new one. 
You adulterers, don't you realize that friendship with the world makes you an enemy of God? I say it again. If you want to be a friend of the world, you make yourself an enemy of God. What do you think the scriptures mean when they say that the spirit God has placed within us is filled with envy? I want to tell you something. I'm jealous for Kim's love. On, on, a, on a daily basis. Every day. Including today. <laughs> Every day I can, I make her daddy tea. I flirt with her. How are you, doll? I'm jealous. I didn't marry her to share her love. And God, the Spirit of God, when, when you put Jesus in the lineup with other gods that you want to trot out in front of him, he'll always say, vote for the other one. Because the people that I have called will want me only. So you don't see me going, hey, there's a lot of roads to God. Man, you know, uh, Jesus is my friend. I want to tell you something. Jesus is more than my friend. He is absolutely the only hope I have of eternal existence. He's the only one that saw me in my blood, in my darkness, in my depression, and said, I love you right now. Don't worry, I can change you, but I want you right now. But I don't want you to be whorish with other gods. You know what I'd like to do right now? Is just stop and cry a little bit. God loves the American church. And I get mad when people put down Americans. I think Americans have done really good trying to stay in tune with God through all the compromise and challenges. But I long for purity in the American church. I long to see people raised up with some swag. I'm with Jesus of Nazareth. Jehovah God is my father. And I don't want to blow it because he didn't blow it on me. He executed the plan of the father to redeem me from darkness. He put a ring on my finger. He gave me his name. He's built me a house. And God's a jealous God. If you're living very casual and you don't know he's jealous, I hate to say it, but someone didn't teach you right. He's jealous. The cure is mind, attitude, and life change. My wife helped me last night because I was going to read verses 6 through 12, and then I was going to comment all of them. She said, I know you, and you'll, you'll, you'll do other things on the route to there. So don't read the verses, just do the commentary part. Okay. But I had written down the fact that in verses 6 through 12, it says that God gives us grace to withstand those evil desires and lust. Okay. Read my lips. You, if you can fog a mirror, you have evil desires and lusts. 
especially you young people. You're disgusting. No, no, you're not. You're just normal. Okay. How many of you old people said, I would strike at a blow for freedom. Just take a shot at the youth, you know. Okay, you breathe, therefore you, sweetness, have evil and sinful thoughts and desires, not all the time every day, but consistently enough that it's a problem. My wife agrees, and she's, she has no sin. So the rest of you, she's doing it for you. If you can't admit that there's a battle, you'll never go to war. Because, and I, and I like the, the title of Joyce Meyer's book, The Battleground of the Mind. It's in the mind. Lust and, 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 and crazy thinking, it's hatched in the meditative part of me. And, you know, I've, I've heard people trying to say that, that the new birth takes away any drive towards the flesh. It doesn't. That's why the list of the works of the flesh is given to believers in Galatians chapter, what, five or six? Chapter five. Because there are works that Christians have a choice to put away and consider dead, or they're going to come back alive. They're Freddy Krueger-esque. And so the Lord knows that we have them, and he said, I'm giving you grace immediately to help you overcome them, which I think is awesome. So I'm going to list them. One, resist the devil, and he will flee from you. This uh, woman came home from shopping, and she had this beautiful... <laughs> dress on and, and, and he, he had talked to her and they were working on budget and that wasn't in the clothing budget for that he said honey what happened well she said I saw this beautiful dress and, and I thought I looked good and uh, the person selling it said I look good in this dress and he said well doesn't the Bible say that you know if you resist the devil he'll flee from you and uh, he said, she said, I did. I resisted the devil. He went around back and said, you look pretty good in that dress. So I went ahead and bought it. Okay. Okay. Get thee behind me, Satan, she said. And he said, oh, yeah, by the way, you look pretty good in that dress. <laughs> okay. Don't tell jokes in sermons. Note to self. Resist the devil and he will flee from you. Number two, come close to God and he will come close to you. The next one is, wash your hands, you sinners. This is to his congregation. And so if he's saying that about his, I have to assume it's the same here. We sinners need to wash our hands. Purify, number four, purify your hearts, for your loyalty is divided between God and the world. Number five, let there be tears for what you have done. Let there be sorrow and deep grief. Let there be sadness instead of laughter and gloom instead of joy. And I put my personal note is this is a true manifestation of repentance. I knew a man of God that had uh, messed up two or three times in, 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 in having an affair with, with ladies in the congregation. And, and, and he always talked about how God's mercy came to David 
and he had sinned. And, and it, it just struck me that if you're really broken about what you've done, you can preach as strong against it as though you never did it because you see the danger of it. But if you put little additives, well, David committed adultery and God used him. What, is that your open door to have another adulterous affair? I want to tell you some stuff. The, the, the crud that I've done in my life, one, I don't like talking about it to any great degree, but I do preach against it. And the thing is, is that it makes me sorry. Okay? The things that I've done, I don't want to forget them. I don't want to be the chump that forgets where he came from and then repeats. So I, I don't want to be tormented, but there's a difference between tormented and having gained wisdom by it. So maybe you spent your youth eating dope and, you know, running through uh, the parks uh, with hippie clothing on, but you don't necessarily want your kids to go do that. I hope not. Because maybe you really loved the world. You loved that. And being a Christian, I can't do that. But it's still in your heart. So what you leave, really leave. And have a manifestation of true repentance. I really don't want that lifestyle any longer. Number six, humble yourself before the Lord, and he will lift you up in honor. Number seven, don't speak evil against each other, dear brothers and sisters. If you criticize and judge each other, then you are criticizing and judging God's law. You don't have the right to say, I'm going to really get on people and on areas where I'm strong. And so you begin to prioritize certain aspects of God's commandments. But what about the part where you're not strong? Why are you so mute on that? And I found myself doing that. that there are certain things that are strengths to me, and I'm like, you guys ought to be doing this, blah, 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 blah. And then there are things that I've been perennially weak at. And, and I appreciate when someone teaches on it graciously, but doesn't beat me up. So we are not called to criticize each other, or we begin to become judges of God's law. Well, this law will enforce this one, we won't. Number eight, your job is to obey the law, not to judge whether it applies to you. Verse 12, God alone who gives the law is the judge. He alone has the power to save or to destroy. Number nine, so what right do you have to judge your neighbor? Getting on into in the end of this teaching, James again concludes that the only lasting cure to the lust and war conflict is complete surrender to God's holy law and God's value. One guy said, he said, some people have enough religion to make them miserable. I want to tell you something. Christianity is, 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 is a faith that's all demanding. It demands that you make Jesus Lord. It's not a suggestion. You know, you've got to believe in your heart that Christ has been raised from the dead. And, you know, you proclaim him Lord and Christ, boss and anointed one. And, and, and there has been a tendency to start teaching discipleship as kind of an elite thing that only a special small minority of people will ever enter into. 
Discipleship, laying your life down for Jesus, is the normal. That if you're ashamed of him before men, he'll be ashamed of you before the holy angels and the Father. And so what happens is that, that many people are miserable because there's a war inside of them, and they're trying to find out how they can piecemeal this and kind of schlep their way into a quasi-victorious lifestyle without really having to change. And James is terrible because he always brings up, you want to know the key to this? Surrender everything. You want to know the key to this other problem? Surrender everything. The dude's a one-trick pony. And you know what? I totally relate. That the only way I do good on any aspect of Christianity that I'm involved in is to give Jesus everything. Pray like he said pray. Pray in tongues like he said, pray in tongues. Be kind to my neighbor like he said. And the minute that I try to parcel out how much obedience I'm going to give him, then I have those conflicts come again. And one compromise leads to another. And so we have five questions. Number one, examine yourself. Are you internally conflicted with lusts and passions of the world? That question is for humans. Thank you. Give that child a free pizza. <laughs> Just charge that to Josh Irons or Skylar Kelly. They'll take care of that. Number two, has this internal conflict led to conflicts with others? Number three, pray that God would change your desires from fleshly desires to godly ones. God's, a, God's a, a desire giver. Delight yourself in the Lord and he will give you the desires of your heart. Which means what? When you say, I, I am probably the worst sinner in the world, but I am going to delight in, in, in Jesus. All of a sudden you find out, oh, he gave me a gift. He changed my desire. And, the, and here's what's neat about when God changes your desires. He changes them to pure things, and then he later on, he, he causes them to come to pass. So all of a sudden, see, in, in my life, I, I, I didn't want to be a con man. I didn't want to be this. I wanted to be a family man. And the Lord said, that's a good desire. That, that reflects my heart, because I'm the world's biggest family man, and so... Yeah, I gave you that desire, and by the way, I'll make it come to pass. How many of you like that all your good desires come to pass? And the funky ones that frustrate you, you, you fight, you fight, you go, to, you go to freedom weekends, you try to get freedom over it, but you're internally conflicted because you haven't let the Lord change the desire of your heart. And the Bible tells us in the end of Hebrews 4 that we have a high priest who was tempted in every way we were, yet without sin, and that we're to go boldly to the throne of grace for help in times of need. And when I find that this stupid craziness hits my head, I always go, God, right now I don't want to, do your, I don't want to obey you. In fact, my flesh and even my soul are more in agreement with doing my own thing. But you said that if I would call on you, in times of need, you'd help me. And I find that those desires go, thump, light speed, as quick as the devil got chucked out of, out of heaven, 
Jesus said, I beheld Satan fall as lightning from heaven. That quick, I've seen temptation just whoom, evaporated because I followed what he said. He said, I already know you're a chump. Come to me. You're my chump. I bought you. I called you by name. And, and I'm not going to leave you in Lustville or Temptationville. I'm, I'm going to come to you, and I'm going to take away the drive and the desire. So, so again, pray that God would change your desires from fleshly ones to godly ones. And then number four, humble yourself before God. What's humility like? Is it like coming to church and acting like Holy Joe? Yeah, I'm, I'm chill. I'm okay. That's not humility. Even setting with, you know, hallowed, you know, cheese. Oh, that's not humble. Humble is what you and I do all the time. God, I so don't deserve you. Could you save a sinner like me? Jesus said, the guy that came like that, he had church. And the one other one was praying to himself. I don't want to pray to me. I want to pray to God. And I know you do too. Humble yourself before God. God, I'm not here to act like I don't have a sin nature. I'm not here to act like I'm all that in a bag of chips. God, I'm just an old chunk of coal, but I'll be a diamond someday if you'll work with me. How many can feel the presence of the grace of God in the room, man? And then refuse to judge others. Wow. I feel like I've got some work to do. How about you? Might be a few more weeks before I hit perfection. But don't you just love the God that we serve? God's not what's wrong with this earth. He's the answer. I'm going to pray with you all, but before I do that, I just want to tell you the, the good news is that at your worst, you were chosen to walk with God. You will never pay it forward. You will never be good enough with the, the credit column and versus the debit column. It's not like simple accounting with Quicken loans or <laughs> Quicken books. But it's a matter that the one thing you and I have all earned, I can tell you what you, my friends, what we've all earned. We etern, we earned rejection of God. The wages, the payment of sin is death. But salvation is the free gift. Eternal life is the gift of God. The gift. El regalo desde el cielo. The gift from heaven is la vida eterna. It's eternal life. It's a gift. No matter how many sermons I preach, no matter how many people come to Jesus, no matter how many people begin to speak in tongues, no matter how many people get healed because I pray, I'll still be a debtor to the one who's conveyed away my sin from me on the cross. 
And I'll tell you what, I like it that way. I like it that my God is jealous over me. He doesn't want me sleeping with other gods. That shows value. That's not a restriction. It's a blessing. Man, I, I, I've got to end here. And I just feel amped up. Is it noticeable? Okay, I just want to make sure, like, oh, it's good for you. It's not for us. We don't even know what you're talking about. But every week we tell people that the Lord paid, did all the heavy lifting so that you can be his child. He's done all that's required, but he asks you to believe. And he asks you to begin to play nice in the sandbox. Do his word and will, which makes sense anyway. I see people that are eaten up with lust. They're so tormented. You want to go to the most unhappy place in the world. Go to a Las Vegas casino and watch all the people just tormented as they're running the slot machines. Tormented. And I'm thinking, man, I'm not judging them. I'm just judging what I see in my eyes. You don't look happy. I'll take another drink. Tormented. I've seen sex addicts. Tormented. How many encounters with people do you need? How many times in a bathhouse for a homosexual person? Driven. But freedom comes through Jesus Christ. And it comes because God did the heavy lifting. And right now, if you would like to come to God, what we say here is, join God. He's already done everything to join you. So if everyone would bow your head and close your eyes. I'd like everyone who came here saying, I need a new life. I need a brand new life. I don't need a patch. I don't need a makeover. I need to start over. I need to be buried. My sins have ruined my existence and I need to be buried with Jesus Christ and rise in newness of life. If you're here and you'd like to join God, we want to just pray with you. We don't pull you out of your chair, but just hold up your hand and say, dude, you're talking my language. I need that. I want that. I want God in my life right now. Raise your hand so I can see. We want to pray. Okay. Okay. Looks like, unless I missed a, a hand that went up, uh, we're all believers here. Very quickly, would you pray with me, believers? How many of you find that James' words, there's a little in it for all of us, isn't there? How many of you say, Ayurme, Senor? Help me, Lord. Help me, Lord. That's our prayer, God. 